Thank you so much for joining our Gen Church Wa podcast. We are a community of everyday people committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. It's 2022. We have so many exciting events, gatherings, and opportunities for you around Generations Church. If you'd like to learn more about these opportunities, these events, these gatherings, head over to mygenerations.church to check them out. So what does it mean to be spiritual? How does followership of Jesus look in an era of postmodernism and deconstruction? We're getting back into our series on 1 Corinthians called Masterclass, where the Apostle Paul will help us navigate our cultural moment. Let's respond to the scripture and spirit together. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. I'm going to go through that now, and then Kyle's going to come up and join us and take us through chapter 9. So. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. <clears throat> so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that I, by all possible means I might save someone. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. Welcome back to Masterclass. It is so good to see you all. Uh, it has been a joy to go through this series together. Whether you're joining us for the first time, or this is like your 12th time in this series, Um, Let me give you a little bit of previously on. We are using 1 Corinthians as our text to help us not become a master at one thing, like cooking or training a dog or playing an instrument or public speaking. We are using 1 Corinthians as our baseline text to help us become a master at all of life, specifically filtering all of life through the person and work of Jesus, helping us integrate faith and life. I don't know about you, but sometimes throughout my week and sometimes throughout my day, it can often feel like sometimes we're two different people. We want to be someone or we want to be somewhere, and then we catch ourselves with actions or attitudes that are inconsistent with who we want to be, with who we aspire to be. And we find ourselves at a place to go, how do I become what I know I am? And here's the hope, is that we seek to be not the people that even we think we are, the best versions of ourselves in our own minds, but that we live the reality of who God says we are. Loved child of God. And out of that love, simply respond. And playing cards, a trump card, is a card that supersedes any card. I got I to think about how I want to say this because I'm an avid card player. So sometimes when I play cards, it's like I, I, I just get ahead of myself in explaining like, pe- like the game. And I, I play a lot of games. And sometimes maybe you play card games. Maybe you play board games. But a trump card is one that when you're playing any sort of trump card or card laying game, that it supersedes any previously played card or sequence of cards. And the result is that you win the hand. 
It's actually a variation of a 16th century uh, variation of the word triumph. To play a trump card, it means you win. And once a trump card is played, all discussion, scoring, and argument is over. Unless you're me, then I got to argue a little bit or, or debate. I'm just, just kidding. Maybe you have some of those in your life who, when you're playing a game like that, it, you're like, this person wins, and you can't help but go, ah, but what, can, can, we, can we find around? Growing up I, in my family playing competitive card games around the table, that tended to be that. Um, we had a rule in my family where it's like, hey, we spell out all the rules of the game. We, we figure out what's Trump, how to win, and all that stuff, because you know my dad is going to figure out a way to finagle the rules. And with the eye rolls and all that, that stuff, we, we, we just kind of get around. And the, the reason I, I share this with you is because what Paul has done and what he is doing is he's trying to describe a trump card of sorts. See, in the Christian life, the card that is played that wins the hand, that wins the game, is love. Last week, I attempted to answer the question that arose in Corinth that caused a dilemma. Is it okay, because of the Christian freedom that we have, would it be okay to order a bone-in ribeye, medium rare, off the local menu, knowing that the steak was probably and possibly offered to a false god, offered to an idol? So would it be okay with the Christian freedom that I, we have, to do something like order this meat or to order some food, though it had been offered to a lesser and false God. And if you unpack Paul's theological and philosophical answer, you'd come to the conclusion, yeah, it's probably okay. And so we looked through that kind of last week, and we looked at two characters Joe No and Joe Bro, and how they should view each other, and how they should think about each other, knowing that they should actually think not about themselves, but about each other, and think about and practice love. And Paul's conclusion is that there's only one God anyways. So whether you eat ribeye steak or you prefer a veggie burger, it's not going to get you closer or further away from God. So it's okay. Then, at the end of this argument, where Paul's kind of going back and forth, saying, here's how you think about each other. He trumps his own argument, and he pulls out the love card. He says, yes, it's okay to eat medium-rare steak or a veggie burger. Don't try to manipulate God. It's okay unless you see another younger Christian in this case that you care about, and you care about their spiritual growth, and you know choosing to eat that steak will actually cause them to stumble and fall. And in that case, you can't actually have the ribeye. Then, because he didn't think they would actually buy into that line of thinking, he actually shifts his argument and brings in a personal illustration. Paul describes how love shows up in his life, even when there are strong theological and philosophical reasons to choose another action. See, so often in our life, we self-justify. We have good 
reason. What Paul says is you may have good reason. You may even be right. But the trump card, the card that must be played, the card that is paramount is love. And so Paul describes how that aspect of love shows up in this case. Because this master class is one of all of life. And it forces me and you to go beyond good arguments and justification for an action. The motivation for our action must be rooted in who we are in Christ. And what we must do must be a response from God's action towards us. See, our attachment to God drives action. Your attachment to God drives action. The problem is that we have stronger attachments that we are unwilling to sever. You have things that tug in your heart and in your mind that want to say, what about? Or lead you into another way. That says, maybe I know you're right or I, uh, you've got more freedom here. Do whatever you want. We've, we've got past We've got stories, we've got experiences that pull out our hearts and minds. And they're stronger. They form stronger bonds and attachments, deep waves in our brains that we go, I'm not sure I want to or am ready to sever that connection and pursue a new way. So what are your stronger attachments? And you say, bet, and Paul says, bet. Let me show you how this works itself out. Paul says, let's go on the discussion of meat. In 1 Corinthians 8, back one verse, verse 13, Therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never again eat meat, so that it won't cause my brother or sister to fall. In verses of 1 through 27 of chapter 9, Paul expands on this verse. He says, I'll never eat meat again. And Paul kind of ups, as he says this, the decibel volume. Are you sure you're ready for this? He's like, because I'm about to get real serious and real practical. And I can kind of imagine Paul just upping that decibel volume that says, all right, let's get after it. And it's kind of this rant. And so like when I read this chapter, if you haven't done this, like open up your Bibles, go to chapter nine and just look at all of the questions that Paul goes through. And I can imagine that Paul is like speed reading it, saying it, though this letter would have been read aloud in the congregation. I can just imagine Paul preaching this because the volume level goes up and the intensity ratches it up and says, let's go because love is the trump card. So here's how it shows up. And he goes and gives four declarations that exposes the depth to which he has taken the calling to follow and imitate Jesus. And verses 1 through 12, here's how it starts. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to you because of the seal of apostleship in the Lord. And he just kind of goes on all the way through verse 12 gives these rhetorical questions. The assumption is that you can answer this. So as you look at those questions, as you read those questions, there should be an evident answer. Paul contrasts his unwillingness to take a salary 
or his calling not to take a wife with him when he travels. Unlike Peter and others who received payment and had wives. If you didn't know that, that's a little fun fact tidbit today. That some of the disciples and apostles had families. They had wives. Paul even refers back to the Old Testament scriptures. And he gets all the way down to his first declaration. Where it says, instead we endure everything. So that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. Paul's saying it's way bigger than meat. It's way bigger than a glass of wine. It's way bigger than whether or not your kids go out on Halloween. It's way bigger than politics or masks or vaccines or gambling or you just name your hot button issue. Where there's all kinds of different perspectives and theories. And again, Paul's building on this. So he says, you may actually be right. But you sacrifice your rights for the other. He says, instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ is the good news that Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven, lived a perfect life on earth, died a death on the cross, and then rose victoriously and ascended back to the Father so that we might have life and access to a new reality. So we might understand what it looks like to be fully human. So that the wrongdoing that we have done, that payment and penalty is paid, but then we also have the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to help us live our life in a way fully connected, attached to God, and be able to be attached in healthy and robust ways to others. And he's saying, if your issue or your position becomes a barrier between you and loving, presenting that reality to another, get rid of your position. Sacrifice it. Endure the trial and the difficulty so that person may experience the love and the grace, the personal favor of Jesus Christ. And as you hear that, there's that word endure. It's going to take time and trust and persistence, which means it's not going to be easy. You're going to have to embrace some awkwardness at times. You're going to have to embrace some difficulty. And I know we live in this world where, let's be honest, I would love things to be a little bit more easier. There are moments throughout the week where it's like, I just want to feel like, and maybe this is just me, just to be able to kind of like turn off your brain and just be. Because it's like, why do I have to think through everything? Why is it so difficult? Can't I just simply respond? Why is it so difficult, you know, when my, when my partner or, or my spouse or my kids, like, are giving me a response, and it's like, where did this come from? And it's like, can't it just be simple? And in this moment, what Paul is saying, his first declaration, is that we endure, we persevere through difficulty. Because we are to be representatives of the life, death, and resurrection, the love of Jesus to others. Continuing in verse 13 and 14, Paul points to the culture. Even though the world, the world reaps a benefit from the work that they do, he's talking about the sacrifice to idols, the, the workers there in the temples, they would have had access to some of the meat. He says it's fair and right for someone who spends their time in full-time ministry to expect to be paid a livable wage. And there have been whole sermons preached on, this is why we should pay pastors, and this is, this is why we should do things like that. And I'm not going to go into that today. But the reality is, is 
that you know when you work towards something, that as you exchange time for money, there should be a, a material benefit there. There should be a practical benefit there. But Paul gets to his second declaration in verse 15. And Paul says, though I have a right to when I put my hand to the plow, when I do the work, it's natural kind of cause and effect. I should receive, receive some benefit. He says, I don't lean on my rights in this way. He says, I don't say that my trump card is my right to receive. Listen, if you're a Christian and you're still bound up on your rights, what you've got coming to you in your marriage, your relationship with Christ, your boss, your church, if you're focused on the I deserve, and maybe you never say it, but the I'm entitled to, or they should do this for me because of what I've done, then you've missed the point. See, if Jesus had rested on his rights, he never would have come to earth. And we would all have to become Jews in order to spend eternity with God. But Jesus did not rest on his rights. The eternity, presence, the authority with God in heaven and all of that splendor. He gave that up for you. Because he loves you. And he says, I want this person to have access to my family, to be my child, to experience and know they are loved. So I will give up the splendor of heaven, not because he had to or because he must, but because he wanted to. So the Christian life is not about rights when we start to filter our life through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And here's the reality is, Paul says, we do have rights. He's not saying you don't have rights. There's not certain entitlement. There's benefits or privileges. You do. There are certain perks. There are certain accesses. There are certain receipts that prove that you are entitled to something. But the point of the Christian life is not to rest on these receipts. To rest on the finished work of Christ and live out of that to know that you are loved and can then respond. And Paul says, if I've willfully not used any of them, not pulling on my receipts, then these, then in verses 15, 18, Paul lays down some heavy words about true motivation. God has given him something to do, and he will do it in full connection to God. Meaning if God has given you something to do, which he has, and then we choose to not do it, it doesn't mean we aren't responsible for it. Leading us to Paul's third declaration. He says, although I am free from all and not anyone, slave or servant, can be translated that way, I've made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. He continues, and then we get to his fourth declaration in verse 22. These are tied together. He says, I have become all things to all people. People encountering Jesus, seeing Jesus in tangible and practical ways, giving up time, talent, treasure, reorienting and reframing work, reframing and reorienting what you do on a day-to-day -day basis caused 
should cause us to rethink and reevaluate. It caused Paul to eat veggie burgers, to work in the marketplace, or early mornings and late nights. It caused him to be celibate. The hope that others would encounter a living Savior caused him to give up professional ambition and allow others to mock him. He didn't return evil with evil, but instead responded. That's that endurance piece. He says, yeah, it is truly acceptable and good that I should be able to achieve, that I should be able to pursue this, but I'm choosing not to because in my culture, in my time, in my place, this is a hindrance to the gospel. It's a hindrance to people understanding the love and purposeful favor of God and understanding that they have access to be attached to a God who loves them, who changes who they see themselves as and what it means to live in this world. It's funny, we asked the question to start, what's your most difficult household chore? I think sometimes when we think about these passages, it's easy to kind of say, yeah, I, I should love more. I should be more purposeful. I should, I should think about what it means to care for others. And we'll get to that here in a moment. But I think practically, I think if, if it really means that we are moving towards people so that they know Jesus, if we're not going to let things stand in our way, our preferences stand in our way, then it means you have to look yourself square in the face and say, it's not too difficult for me to clean my house so I can host someone to have them over for dinner and get to know their story. It's not, maybe you're even saying, well, okay, let me frame that a different way. You say it's too difficult for you to do that. Maybe you say it's too difficult for you to say no to one hour to TV. The average American human watches an average of three hours of TV a day. Take that over a lifetime, the Western person will watch about 10 years of TV over the course of a lifetime. And I'm not saying never watch TV or that you always have to have a perfect spotless house. What I'm encouraging you to do is to evaluate. Would you rather be entertained by a glowing screen than engaged in the life of others? question as I even ask that is, how do I get to a place where I love people so much that I'm willing to give up my rights, my comforts, maybe my favorite show once a week, my privileges, so that others can see and experience, taste, touch, get a glimpse of Jesus. For most of you, you may feel some pressure after kind of my mini rant, like Paul, in your head, you're saying, Kyle, I know. I'm supposed to love people. I've heard this before. I'll hear it again. Yes, I, you've driven that point home. I know I'm supposed to love. I should love people. And so as we move forward, what I'm not about to say is about greater willpower. It has very little to do with want to. Or maybe even no. And some of you, as I talk about this love, I'll just acknowledge those of you in the room who say, hey, this may be news to me. My mama told me to kill people with kindness, but I've never really known why. Paul was a smart guy, so I'll try to be nice and kind to others. 
But here's the reality is Paul had personal rights and privileges. And this wasn't something Paul had to do. It's something he wanted to do. So with the rest of our time, what I want to make sure we share on is where this motivation to, to love, to truly love, comes from. And how do we see more of that in our life? Because oftentimes, in a message that starts out, oh, I, you should love more. You should think more about people. We can often feel overwhelmed and, or even just kind of shame and hang our head and go, yeah, I'm just thinking at that right now. I'm not trying to guilt you or pressure you or shame you in this moment. What I'm hoping and what I'm hoping that we can do is that we can look at what we're actually attached to and what are our motivations and how do we change those motivations. Because when our motivations, when our attachment, when the longings of our hearts change, our own reasonings and response will be less have to, must, should, or ought. It'll be get to. It'll be want to. Can't help but. And so Paul began kind of his mini rant with, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Paul's love for people came out of his love for Jesus. It wasn't natural. This was the guy who found joy and fulfillment in killing people before because he was right and self-justified. He liked, I mean, the, the people, the background of Paul was that people came and laid like clothes at his feet for killing Christians. They were after his approval. He was the guy who was like the head honcho. And so he, you knew like he felt good about himself. Like he, he was high and mighty, he had it all. And what changed his love for people, his willingness to not just sit on his laurels, to not stay in that position, was not more of that. It was a true encounter with Jesus that changed his heart. And so what we have to come to understand is that the only way that our hearts will change is not by more willpower, is not more rules, is not more scheduling it right in the counter, though I love schedules, anyone who knows me, like, like I, I like to, to schedule and create that space, is not that. It's increasing our attachment and our affection for Jesus. Getting to know him better. Spending time with him and seeing how he is at work in our lives. So maybe the, the most practical exercise that you can do this week is if you are a follower of Jesus, is go back and remind yourself why you first said yes to Jesus. Maybe you were at a low place. Maybe you were at the end of your rope and there Jesus met you. Maybe you were a relatively good kid and you were just kind of living and existing in church and then one day it just kind of occurred to you was a song or a sermon or something like that where it just, it's more than ritual, but I need a relationship with this person. I don't know what it is for you. And if, if you're a follower of Jesus, go back to your story where you said yes to Jesus, where you discovered that. And if you are someone who's like, I'm not sure that's in my story, this is a great opportunity to kind of evaluate that. And maybe even say yes to Jesus 
for the first time. If maybe you've been doing this church thing for a while because you were invited or you were told you should or ought or it's good for you, or it helps you be a good person or anything like that, maybe this is an opportunity in God's wake-up call to you to say, say yes to Jesus. Step into a faith family. Be baptized by immersion and receive the newness of life and the power that comes with the Holy Spirit. Because it's in that moment, in your faith in Christ where Jesus meets you in your story that will keep you motivated to love and care for others when the going gets tough. See, Paul had a clear and sobering understanding of life apart from God and then life with God. In each of those declarations, Paul makes a direct reference back to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He can tie his actions and his attitudes back Jesus. And each day in our story, as our feet hit the floor, we want to be able to tie what we do, who we are, back to Jesus. You get the ability to love from Jesus. I know it's contrary to our Western culture that we don't automatically wake up and are godly and good. We think transformation is truth plus good choices plus power. But part of that equation is missing. True transformation in your life is the love of God that he has for you and understanding that attachment so that then as you evaluate your choices, as you learn and discover truth from his word, as people encourage you with truth and the power and the presence Holy uh, Holy Spirit works in your life, that's where change happens. And so what Paul does is he concludes this chapter with two word pictures to help us. How do we get to that point? The Corinthians would have been familiar with athletic games similar to the Olympic Games. And he references training athletes, specifically in verse 24 down through 27. So let me read that. He says, don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win that prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. He first refers to understanding the end goal. And then he refers to the discipline to chase after that goal. The end goal is to become what you are in Christ. We've got a whole portion of our website called Becoming. And the very first thing that we want to make sure every person understands is their identity in Christ. And there are resources on there to help you know that who you are, whose you are. There's literally a chart that's got like 40 affirmations that says, I am in, like when I am in Christ, I am a new creation. When I am in Christ, I am beloved. Because what happens is we need to know that reality. We need to know that truth. So when the whispers, so when the other attachments want to pull at us in our lives, that we seek to know, go this direction, know strengthen that attachment rather than allow the greater and more pulling, pressing attractions pull us another way. 
See, meaning that what you will be like in eternity must be inbreaking into your life now, fully with God in Christ. So often we want the benefits of the Christian life without giving ourselves over to it. We must be integrated. And this is what Paul is after here. When he says he becomes all things to all people, he's not asking you to be hypocritical. He's not asking you to constantly change who you are. He's saying that you're constantly changing for the sake of or to gain. Oh, he's not, you're not trying to gain their approval. You're not trying to be wishy-washy. That you're not becoming all things to all people. What he means by that is you're becoming all things to all people. It's being so centered and so constant in who you are that you aren't triggered by other circumstances or situations. That you don't act in, inconsistent with who you are in Christ. See, what happens is the sin, the, the breaking of relationships, the difficulty, so oftentimes the consequences in our lives are so often because we get triggered and we should respond out of character with who we are in Christ. And so the goal is to have that so deeply rooted, so ingrained in our hearts that then when we encounter others who slide us or make passive aggressive comments or statements or actions or, or you're like, I'm not sure where that comes from or, or when our boss lets us go. Or when our spouse says something hurtful, that we don't respond out of a false word, but we go back to who Christ says we are, and then we can choose to respond appropriately. You're able to bring the proper response of love in that situation. And that you don't have to figure it out or make it up, but you get to simply respond because the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit is in your life, guiding you to respond accurately. And we're hypocritical. This is when Christians get bad names. We're hypocritical when, in certain situations, we let greater attachments determine our action and attitude over and against our attachment to Christ. Paul understands that this life isn't the main event, and our attachment to lesser things pull at our hearts, want to sway us away from showing others what it means to truly live love. And you may be wondering, shouldn't I just be able to finish that house project? Shouldn't I just be able to watch Yellowstone? (laughs) Gabe, you know that was for you. (laughs) The hard thing is, the reality is, we'll sacrifice an hour to game, to binge, to drink, to work on a project, and Paul's saying you can do all these things. Yellowstone's not bad. Working on your house isn't bad. Spending time with friends, video gaming isn't bad. But if you don't have love, if you're not thinking about others, if that's not your root, if you're not so attached to Christ that in the midst of those things that you're bringing out the love of God, then you've missed the point because those things pass away He applied it to marriage, and he says, this is why I can be single. And this general, it'll be reapplied later when he talks about what it means to gather as the church. And he reapplies it here. Paul understands the difference between the marketplace and his mission. See, the marketplace often is where you earn. It's your career. It's where you contribute to society. Maybe, maybe it's just being a mom or a student, your job. In all of those places, you'll get a season of fulfillment. However, that's not your mission. 
Mission is the purpose for which God has created you, where you live, work, and play to live his love so that others encounter the author of love. Whether you've been a Christian for two days or 32 years, God has a mission and purpose for you precisely where you are. And Paul leverages all he lived. He, he made tents. He traveled. He sacrificed so that others could know Christ. Maybe that vacation you want to take. Maybe you need to think about who you can include in that to spend time with them. That phone that you have. Maybe it's less scroll and more checking in. Maybe it's the car to say, hey, actually, God's blessed us with a couple cars, and I can give one away or gift it for a season or give someone a ride. And as I say this, you may be hearing and wondering, like, so, so what does God want from me? Where, where does he have me? What is my mission? And here's the beautiful thing for us at Generation Church is we want to help you understand and live your faith where you are, where you live, work, and play, and help you discover that. We want to have that conversation with you. And you might have some other people in your life who can, you can ask, so what's, what's God's mission? What's his purpose for me where I'm at? And they can affirm that to you. Some of you know what your mission was but got distracted by the marketplace. Some of you know your, what your mission is, but you've made mistakes and you think God is done with you. No, he isn't. If you've got a pulse, he's still got purpose for you. Some of you need to rediscover that when you serve in kids, it's not babysitting, but helping kids get a foundation in Christ. That when you spend time with teenagers, that they're looking for adults to imitate what lifelong followership of Jesus is like, to learn from their mistakes. Some of you need to show others what it looks like to be successful and have a lot of money, but what it means to be generous in the midst of it. You may say, it's not my gift. I'm not sure what my gifts are, and I think that's reasonable, but regardless, it's our responsibility, whether it's our gift or not, to live loved in proximity to others. You may not have all the words. You may not feel like you've got it all together and that's the beautiful thing is you don't have to allow Christ's perfection in his life to be lived out through you and as you change people will take notice and the only way that happens is when we keep our eyes and our ears when we keep our focus on what we are called to do as followers of Jesus which means we must discipline to work for this end. It's no accident that discipline and disciple have the same etymology. But discipline without attachment is drudgery. Discipline with attachment is delight. You will spend time with Jesus. You will spend time pouring yourself out for others. And it will be a delight when you are truly attached to Jesus. Every organization has some level of training upon commitment. The Army has basic training in sports. We encourage kids at a young age to learn their fundamentals. Everything else they learn is predicated on learning those early skills. When we are attached to Christ, we need to learn some basics. Who we are, whose we are. The challenge is that we come with other attachments, pulling at our hearts and our mind. And I can't think or help but the movie Avatar. 
the one, not the airbender one, the one with the big blue um, guys, people, the Navi. The big one. I think of that, that movie. And without giving away too much of the plot, if you haven't seen it, um, is basically there's these people who are trying to mine resources on this other planet, and they encounter these native people called the Navi. And what this, uh, this business does is they, they're sending people in kind of enmeshed or representative of these Navi to learn and to negotiate to try to get this resource. And they go through all of these things and process of trying to do that, this ups and downs of that reality. But the guy that they send in is actually an old army vet. And he steps into this big, big blue giant body. And as he steps into that, because it's kind of this reality thing where he's got to relearn and he had lost his legs and he's got to relearn as he steps into this big awkward big body because it's got a tail to how to walk how to talk how to move how to function learn relearn the basics reorient life in this new body in this new reality but throughout the movie he, he has to keep going back to his old body, to his old reality. And he feels this pressure from, from the army, from what he's supposed to do, from his mission, and all these things, pulling out these attachments. But he longs to be in that body because he has full access and ability. And as he learns all these basic functions, the one thing he can't quite understand, one thing he can't quite comprehend, is what it means to be Navi. And the whole movie really is about what it means to be fully present in this body, to live the reality that he, his heart longs for. See, for us, so oftentimes, as we follow Jesus, we have a big, beautiful reality, life in Christ waiting for us, full access to all of our gifts, abilities, potential, understanding our identity, that we are connected to God, that we are attached to him and attached to others in a big, beautiful, mysterious way. But so oftentimes we feel these other tensions and these other pulls that, that take us out of that reality, that, that want us and pull us back to other things steps out of kind of that life in Christ and almost back into a human frail one. What I love and appreciate about this movie, Avatar, is I think it's really representative of our life in Christ. That what we have to do is find the hard work of cultivating the attachments to new people, to this new life, and life with God. Because there's a big, beautiful, amazing life full of all new senses, new experiences, new reality waiting for us to understand what it means to be fully human, fully loved. And wouldn't you just love to live that way? When someone says something, it just rolls right off you. When a difficult circumstances arise, you go, cool, just rolling with the punches. And here's the beautiful reality is that's not a fairy tale. That's not fiction. That can be reality. Don't let the lesser attachments pull you back. Step into that reality. Step fully into Christ. Know that you are loved. We must discipline ourselves to strengthen our attachment to God and lessen the other attachments. 
And I think one of the first ways that we do that is by showing and sharing weakness with others and with God saying, I need help so that he can show up in power. As I think about how I kind of want to land this plane and We have so many voices and soundtracks in our head and in our lives. The way that we kind of reset that, that we switch soundtracks is faith in Christ, saying yes to him, but also ways when we show up together and we remind each other. That's why we sing songs. That's why when Charles says, hey, we're going to get together and pray, for some of you, that might have been very awkward. That might have been uncomfortable, and you may not have been sure what to do. That's okay. But it's in moments like that, when we're trying to help each other switch the soundtracks to say that we are for each other, we are with each other, not because of what we can do or can be, but because of who we are in Christ. And so here's what I want to do is, I'm actually going to lead us into our response time. Ben's going to go ahead and come back up, so... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead us into response time, Charity, but here's what I want us to do is as the band comes back up and begins to play and as we go into our response time, as we go into taking communion, that is what communion is. That is why we take a little cracker and, a little, and some juice each and every week. It's because we're trying to jumpstart and revert our hearts back to this is why we exist. This is why we have this attachment. This is God seeking out us in Christ to reflect on our attachment with God through Jesus. Amen. And so right now, over the next couple songs, we're just going to invite you to respond. I don't know how God is leading you to respond. Maybe it's to go and take communion, to say yes once again to Jesus' love and grace for you. Maybe it's, maybe it's praying with someone and asking for prayer to say, here's my weakness, I need help. Can you pray for God to intercede here? Or maybe it's like you're someone with, hey, I got some money. It's time to give and give respond generously. Because Lord knows, like as he, Paul says in the scripture, it's like we want to give and we want to be generous and we want to respond in that way. Amen. I don't know and I don't want to prescript how God says that you should respond. But as you consider your attachment to him and what it means to be attached to this family of believers here, my hope is that you respond the way that the Holy Spirit guides and leads you. So those are some ways that I've given you, communion, giving, and prayer. So let's go ahead and stand, and I'm going to pray, and let's just respond. God, you are good. Thank you, Father. Thank you for being good. Help us to live the reality that you have set before us. God, when we feel tempted to go back, help us to know and be fully enmeshed in you. Help us to discipline ourselves to say no to the things we need to say no to and yes to the things we need to say yes to. Help us to reframe life, not through our frail human eyes, but through your eternal perspective. May we keep our eyes fixed on that goal. May we practice self-control to really learn and know who we are, whose we are, for we are yours. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.